no, no plunder on TV will ever get a job again. <laughs> Welcome back to the 40 Yard Switch. This is episode 41. Uh, it's been a hell of a big week, bigger than usual in regards to the football world, but we've got some special guests on to help us get through all of it. So as always, I'm your host, Jasper Woody Woodson, and alongside me is the ever-dependable Wilbur Kudalukes. How are you, my friend? I'm going well, going well. And for the first time, we have a esteemed journalist on our podcast. The first, uh, you know, somewhat respectable uh, profession with, that would relate to, you know, sport reporting, even though he's not really much of a sport reporter. Yannick uh, Hansen, welcome to the show. I'd have a pleasure to be on the show. Now, Yannick, uh, you, you work for the Luxembourg Times, correct? I do, yeah. And would Yeah, you, just your, a small journalist job. Yeah, so you're more of a, less of a sports journalist, more of a political journalist, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, I, I cover tax and a little bit of politics, so not really sport related. But, you yeah. know, but I guess uh, for this episode, it actually, uh, you know, fits in quite well as everything that's going on with the Russia-Ukraine for that has finally caught up to the football world. And it, it was all popping off last week when me and Wilbur first recorded and nothing was nothing had really made its way to the football world yet. But a week later and boy, has a whole lot happened. So basically, it's been unfolding throughout the week. Initially, it was uh, Poland, Sweden and Czech Republic saying they would refuse to play against England, oh no, sorry, against against Russia, and then you got other countries like England and Wales and a few others saying they refused to play against Russia. And uh, as of a, a day or two ago, Russia has now been banned from all forms of UEFA and FIFA competition. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but until further notice. Yeah, more or less. Um, that's also why I heard. Awesome. Okay. So, and this this will also include Spartak Moscow being kicked out of the Europa League. Um, so. For the most part, this is obviously seen as the correct decision, but there's also been a, a bit of uh, opinion out there that's like, like to feel but feel sorry for the players because they didn't necessarily do anything wrong. Um, but is this the only really sort of way that this whole situation could have been dealt with, regards to essentially kicking out any Russian nationality team or any Russian uh, domestic team out of any competition? Start with you, Yannick, I guess. Um, difficult to say, really. You know, I think <clears throat> FIFA and UEFA, I think they got they got pressure into these things because I, I don't think they have a good track record with necessarily keeping up with the politics. So, um, but even like the logistics, you know, you know, airlines can't fly to Russia anymore. Western airlines can't fly to Russia. You can't play Ukraine anymore. I think something had to be done, and they just went for the, the nuclear option. And uh, Wilbur, what's what's your thoughts? Is is it is it fair to the players or or is it just a case of you got to have a blanket sheet rule for everything yeah i'm i'm not sure it's 100 percent uh fair to the players but i i also think that i mean that that was de definitely the only option that that they that they could take given the situation like yeah they, they definitely can't be allowed to yeah 
I, I, I suppose, yeah, it's, it's sort of, sort of like attacking what Russia's sort of soft power, I suppose. And it's just a small thing that the, that the footballing community can do, but they definitely have to do it. Yeah. Uh, now, interestingly, um, it leaves the World Cup or Russia's World Cup qualifying group in somewhat of a interesting situation because there are now no, no longer four teams that would just play off in two semifinals. There's now three. Um, there's been no announcement as to how that's going to happen, uh, but I thought we might as well speculate. So, um, Wilbur, I'll come to you first. Do, do, my thought is that they could potentially play some sort of round-robin thing and the person with the most points goes through. But, like, how do you see that playing out logistically? <laughs> um, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it too much, but, but I suppose just, 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 just the next one in line to go, to go through. Did, did Russia just qualify automatically? Uh, no, I think it was it was it was Poland, Czech Republic, Sweden, and Russia were, were going to play off. Oh, they were playing. Okay, yeah. right. So it's like now, I'm assuming one of the one of these three teams has to go through. So Yannick, how would you reckon they would go about it? Um, I think the easiest solution is probably just wipe Russia off the entire competition. So the team that finished below Russia would then take Russia's place in the playoffs. Oh yeah, very smart. <laughs> I just completely hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> but yeah, that's... that's, that's well, who knows, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they could do a run robin and then have a couple more games. We all know UEFA love putting plenty of games on, on people's plates. So Yeah, but um, I'm actually not sure because that didn't even cross my mind who would be the team that missed out. But I'm assuming someone like... Is it Finland, uh, maybe? Pardon? Turkey? I think... No, Finland? Or was it Turkey? I don't know. I think there was there was Finland and Turkey. I think there was Norway was quite close as well. So it'll be interesting. This I, I mean, out of those three, I would I would like to see Norway go through just because of um, who does who doesn't want to see Erling Haaland at the World Cup? But England um, had a great kit at Euros though. So uh, Finland, yeah, they did. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but those forty yard switch podcast the World <laughs> uh, listeners who remember, we made an Instagram poll and Finland won, uh, having the best kit at the Euros. Uh, now, the final thing I want to touch on for this sort of Russia fallout um, is the, the growing sort of situation at Chelsea. So obviously, uh, Roman Abramovich has given up his custodianship, if that's the word, uh, of Chelsea FC to the trustees at the club. Although the club uh, initially announced that it, the club's not for sale. Although there's been reports on Sky Sports uh, this morning, UK time, that uh, Abramovich may be considering uh selling as he has already begun to sell a number of his uk properties um firstly uh we'll start with you jan and uh go to wilbur um what was your like do you think that if he doesn't sell even though he's given over this custodianship uh he shouldn't be allowed to return as the um main owner of Chelsea Football Club. Do you think the Abramovich time, regardless of whether or not he sells, uh, has sort of run its course? Um, difficult to say, but I think that's where we're headed. Um, you know, there's also another oligarch, I think the Everton guy, uh, Uzmanov, yeah. is that his name? Yeah. I think he's in the same boat. Um, yeah, I think events have crept up on Abramovich and if you believe the reports, you know, he's scrambling now to sell his assets and Chelsea obviously a big one. So yeah, I can see him 
sell the club eventually. Um, but you know, if you if you just look out who's got their money in football clubs, you know, it's not just Abramovich. There's plenty of dodgy people who who've bought football clubs. Um, I don't think he should have he should have bought Chelsea in the first place. I don't think he should have been allowed to, but he did. They were very successful, and yeah, tough times ahead for Chelsea, I guess. Yeah, God, poor old Chelsea. You know, can't help it. Not nah, feel sorry for them. Nah, we all pity them, don't we? <laughs> um, well, but moving on to you now, uh, Ryan raises an interesting point that there's it's more than just Abramovich uh, in this situation, obviously, with uh, a part owner of um Everton, uh, Usmanov, also uh, being potentially in hot water. Um, well, firstly, with, with regards to Abramovich. What's the best situation for Chelsea that you see going forward? And then, uh, would as an Everton fan, would you like to see Usmanov potentially gone from his uh, part share that he owns at Everton? Yeah, I feel uh, well. Yeah, I I feel like if they've got any ties to to the Kremlin, then they they probably should not be allowed to own a football club in in in, in the UK at this point in time. Um, I actually didn't know that there was a, a Russian part owner of Everton. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah and i suppose uh in, in terms of chelsea like I don't, I don't see a good situation i mean either abramovich goes on owning the club and that's bad obviously um or you know just morally <laughs> and then uh if if he sells the club it's just not going to be good for for any chelsea fan but yeah good good for the rest of us yeah, very good for the rest of us. Um, I would love to thing... see them drop down the table and Newcastle will take their place. Oh yeah, God, that would be glorious. Take Chelsea back to before the to take back Chelsea back to the nineteen nineties. I'd love that. Yeah, but again, I mean, there's debates there about ownership of the club and where the money's coming from. Well, but I think it's interesting that you bring up Newcastle because I think they're in a very similar situation. They're owned by well, effectively just the Saudi states and. You know they've they've been Yemen. waging a war against against Yemen. You know that that's a really nasty war. I think the UN called it the worst humanitarian crisis in the world right now. Yeah. So you know it's, that, it's, it's interesting that's the to kind see of people who own football clubs. Yeah, it's definitely been like it's obviously a topic that's too deep for us to delve too deep into, but it's definitely been interesting to see media coverage of of, um, of this particular crisis compared to various other. Uh, war crises in the middle east for quite some years but that's a topic for a, a different type of podcast i'd say uh, the last thing i'll say before we uh, move on is that um depending on how long this conflict goes on for uh will we potentially just see uh like russian teams out or, or how long do we think sorry before russian teams can re-enter european competitions or and russia can be uh, in you know uh, European qualifiers, Nations League, World Cup qualifiers, etc. Um, we'll, we'll go to you first, and then I'll get your response, Jan. So yeah, how 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 long do you even if this conflict finishes, say by some point this year, how long before Russian teams are, and Russian national team is allowed to compete again? I think I think while there's still sort of the you know state sanctioned you know o- occupying another sovereign state. It's pretty hard to see a situation in which it, it, it would be right for FIFA anyway for to change change the current stance. I can't, yeah. But I I, I guess after if it just say hypothetically it finish it, it, this thing resolves finishes, itself yeah. by the end of the year. How long does it straight back 
they're allowed again, or is it how long is it is the ban? I mean, I think it's it's unpredictable, really, because it's up to UEFA and FIFA, isn't it? And who knows what they will decide? Because um, they're not accountable to anyone. I think I think it'll be years, to be honest. Um, the reputation damage has been done, and you know what? What are football clubs? They represent the country on an international stage. I don't think that would that would be likely to happen for for a number of years. Yeah, I can kind of. My gut feeling is it's it's going that way for sure. Um, so moving on to somewhat lighter topic, or at least lighter for Jan as he is um, a Liverpool fan. Uh, we've got the League Cup <laughs> final, which happened over the weekend. Uh, Liverpool dramatically defeat Chelsea 11-10 on penalties after a nil-all uh, full-time and extra time. Uh, the first talking point I've got about this, which is something actually, coincidentally, Wilbur, Jan messaged me about this as they brought Kepper on. They were like, he was he messaged me saying, this is going to backfire. And lo and behold, Chelsea bring on Kepper to win the shootout and he, and he misses the deciding penalty. So, uh, you, you claiming that one, Jan? Unbelievable. <laughs> Oh yeah, hundred percent. Didn't I? Didn't I message you before the the Euro final shootout when they brought on those two players and said that this is going to backfire? And it did. You might have, yeah. You definitely might. Have. I mean, it was. Oh, I was just poetry, wasn't it? He brings on Kepper to win it, and he bottles it for them. I yeah. mean, I also, loved it. Mendy had had such a good game, like leading up to that. Also, he saved multiple penalties in the Afcon final. Like, I just it just made no sense to me. Well, what was your take on it when when? Like, did you, did you, you probably didn't catch the game live because it would have been at a stupid time but yeah no I, I watched an extended sort of highlights package um that had the full had the full penalty shootout in it I mean yeah I I feel like I'm, I'm I'm still not sure it was like the wrong decision it definitely backfired but I just think and it's the same with with the England like subbing players on to 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 take penalties and, and they mess it up like what Gareth Southgate was saying after that game and what Thomas Tuchel will, will st- still probably say now is that in training, he is the better, he's, he's the better penalty stopper than Edward Mendy. And I suppose there's a lot of context to it, but you know, I reckon, I reckon it's justified and it definitely backfired and it's hilarious. Yeah. But I think, I think that's what you have to go off. You have to go off the fact that, you know, Kepper is, is the better um, penalty saver in training and, and historically as well. Yeah. I reckon it, like I guess, team, teams yeah. must have plans for this, right? Like, like whether or not it, it worked or not, but teams probably like in training were like, okay, if it gets to this situation, we're going to do this, but, and whether or not it's the right thing or not, they definitely probably have plans for like, yes, we're going to bring Kepper on for the shootout because in training, I mean, I know situationally, maybe it's not the best idea, but like, it's, it's sort of like, if you've got this game plan the entire time that's leading and the, the situation in the game leads up to the moment where you would, enact this plan it'd be weird not to do it right yeah it was it was it was like like when you look at england's penalty shootout saka took the fifth one like he's the fifth best penalty taker in uh, supposedly in in training out of the squad but that one is probably for me a worse um decision given that you take given such a young player such a big responsibility but yeah what was was your take yeah (laughs) no i agree um i think the way it unfolded made it even worse you know he tried to play those mind games with van dyke and and fabinho and they absolutely they just smashed the penalties in fabinho even dinked him and then in the end he missed the last one Um, it was just just really tragic for him to be honest and that just made it made it seem worse but the decision to to put him on I thought it was fine. 
because if it because if it works, Tuchel, everyone's like, "Oh, Tuchel, what a genius!" You know, like masterstroke. Won the cup final with one substitution. But then if it doesn't, everyone's like, "What an idiot!" Yeah. Um. Although I must it's- say, like of, of of a penalty shootout that had penalties of such a high quality, he missed that by so much. <laughs> he, that went like it at was least- never going in. <laughs> at least 10 yards over the bar that was crazy um now for me if you had to pick a man of the match from that game it had to be either mendy or kelleher because they for me those were the two standout players of the game it was really a game of two keepers wouldn't you say i mean it, there was multiple standouts across the pitch but those were the two standouts i'd say yeah i completely agree for me it was mendy like the amount of times i just thought like, this is the goal like when Salah went through, when Diaz went through, I thought like someone's got a score now. And Mendy, he just he had a response to everything. Even the the last minute header from Van Dijk, I thought that was going in, and he just he saved more. The, the Mane one and the, the double save that was just pure class. And you got to hand it to him; he was he was the best player for me. Yeah, no, I think it's fair enough. Although yeah, it's interesting stat I saw that uh, no Liverpool keeper has now won more penalty shootouts than I'm not going to pronounce his last first name, but Kelleher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think fair, he's he's been solid. Yeah, they gone. I think yeah, I think Mendy's probably the the best player at Chelsea at, at, at this point in time, and I think yeah. Mason Mount just really did not want to win that final. <laughs> I really wasn't happy with how some some of his playing in that in that game. He was trying to get people sent off. He was he he, he diving. He missed two <laughs> clear cut chances. Of, yeah, no. Dirk, although it must be said, um, I definitely in case listeners of this podcast haven't uh, figured it out already, uh, I definitely prefer Liverpool to Chelsea. Uh, so I was definitely rooting for a particular team in this game. <laughs> Do you reckon? Um, do, do you reckon Chelsea deserved to win that in the in the hundred and twenty minutes? I thought it was a pretty even game, actually, chances wise. I thought Liverpool had more of the play, but I thought clear cut chances wise, I reckon it was pretty even. What do you reckon? Um, I think in ninety minutes the draw was probably fair. Um, both teams missing plenty of chances, um, but in extra time, I thought Chelsea had the edge and. Was it Lukaku who scored? And it was just just a fraction offside. And then yeah. they had another they had yeah. another chance, didn't they? And I thought, you know, oh, this is not going their way and they might just nick it in the end. Mm. I would have been okay if they won in extra time. I thought they were a better team. Wilbur? Yeah, I reckon, yeah, there was that Lukaku one and I like it's very questionable that he had the like advantage. But then there was the Van Dyke one. Like the, where there was a foul that Van Dyke gave away, right? Van Dyke Maybe. apparently impeded reese james kind of like similar to the harry Maguire one against i think it was burnley or something yeah I, I, that both one of those, for me is not a foul so yeah both was, of those for me, one the of harry Maguire and the van dyke one are not fouls i don't really see what it was called there yeah it's just a bigger lad yeah and it's also reese james you know <laughs> just get just don't lose your man so easily you know <laughs> um one thing I will say, it's interesting that you touched on the Lukaku goal. I thought initially, first few minutes when Lukaku came on, it was the same old Chelsea not doing anything to play to his strengths. But if anything, for me, that Lukaku go, goal uh, demonstrated to me why Chelsea need to try and find find the ball 
to uh, give the ball to him more often because that goal could happen. Chelsea, the way Chelsea moved teams around and the way Chelsea passed from, from midfield and from their wingbacks, that goal with Lukaku hitting that channel in between like the far right channel and the, and the inside of the, um, and the inside channel, like down the middle could result in so many goals for Chelsea, but they just refuse to play that style. Like that's Lukaku's bread and butter, that ball down the channel in behind, he gets to that sort of corner of the box and then he'll either, and even if he, and and like you could say it's easy to defend because he always, almost always cuts in on his left foot, but it's very hard to stop. And there, there was, I think I was watching match of the day when they beat Crystal Palace one nil and they had, and like, Chelsea players, like admittedly, Lukaku needs to do more in terms of wanting the ball and uh, calling for it. But Chelsea players, sort of in that Crystal Palace game, had multiple avenues to pass him the ball through that channel and didn't. And then they they did it once in this game, and yeah, a, a marginal offside call calls it back. But like that right there was like the blueprint for how to get Lukaku 15, 20 goals a season if you're Chelsea. Yeah, I feel I mean, like there <clears throat> you go. Yeah. I mean, you're going to hear a very hot take now, but I think that's down to the manager. And after after you gave the interview, <coughs> sorry, when he said, you know, oh, everything was better at Inter, you know, I regret leaving, I didn't want to leave. I think after that, he was dropped, of course, which, you know, he should have been. But then Chelsea also started playing differently. Like the, the Chris Palace game you mentioned, I saw some highlights, and there were so many good runs he made, and he just refused to play that ball through. And, you know, the Chelsea players, they're more than able to do that. Uh, I think that was sort of the managers telling you, look, how good. You know, it is my playing style that makes you successful. But yeah, I don't I, know. maybe I, I'm just no, no, no. I, I tend to agree. I think Tuchel is a great manager, but I do think he, similar to a manager we're going to discuss a little bit later in the podcast, seems to have a stubbornness in playing a certain way that doesn't always accommodate he, your 97 million pound striker. Would you? Would you agree, with Uber or? To, to, <laughs> to be honest, I, I don't watch that many Chelsea games, so I'm not really sure about the, 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 them adapting their, their play style. But, I mean, it, it certainly hasn't worked for Lukaku. I'm not sure whether that's down to the, the whole um, situation with the pushing for the transfer. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I just, I, yeah, I don't know. To, to, to finish, I feel like I just think you've got such a good player there and we've seen him be so good in a team that, you know, plays for his strengths and like Inter also play a three at the back system and he still played up top for them. So like, I don't know. For me, you got to make it work. You spent 97 million pounds on the guy. You've got to find a way to work it work. The final thing um, I'll say, uh, final takeaway from this sort of whole situation. And I'll I'll address this um, to Wilbur first and then I'll ask the Liverpool fan last. Is the quadruple on for Liverpool? I know technically it is, but can you see it happening? Uh, no. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> I feel, Jan I feel will go like... to you then. <laughs> no, hold it back. Um, uh, do you know what? I want it to be on, but I don't think they're going to do it. I think there's probably another trophy coming, but it also it depends so much on, on injuries. Like and Jota luck. was out and luck as well. It's always down to luck. Like the last, you know, the last couple of games or in a cup tie, you know, when you need that extra luck to just push you over the line. Um, I also would like Liverpool to actually focus on the league. I think that is still very much on. Uh, the Champions League, that's a, that's what, like, the return game and then another couple of rounds in the final. Not too many games, really. 
I would focus on that. The Scott the Scott Beth is there if they if they avoid injuries. I think they can get one one more big trophy out of it, but I don't think the quadruple is on. Hey, stranger things have happened, you know. <laughs> I just I just think that that is just so hard to do. I just just I don't know. Yeah. No, it's definitely wishful thinking, I think. I uh, just just I know I don't necessarily like want Liverpool to do it but I do think it would be cool if their team did it because no team in English football has ever ever done it yeah. um, I mean this is probably a bit weird come from Everton but I, I I would like to see it happen I suppose I'm detached from the whole rivalry because over here in Australia but <laughs> I feel like it'd be cool to see it happen for sure yeah um, now speaking of the manager uh, playing a certain style and being stubborn with it that I just mentioned we now come to in any other news week, this would be the biggest piece of news coming out of this uh, football week, but somehow it's found itself third on the rung of the newsletter. It is uh, Leeds United parting ways with Marcelo Bielsa. I, I hesitate to use the word sacked because apparently there was it was it was mutual, but read what you want to read, believe what you want to believe. Um, so obviously a great manager who has a, a, a legendary career and um, uh, instilled a culture at Leeds and they were going nowhere before he joined. Um, and he brought them back to, I guess, the Premier League promised land, if you will, and did a lot of good things at that club. But it, it definitely seems to be going stale over the past. Like even earlier this season, they, me and Wilbur, you talked about how they just look completely open. You, you, you picked them as one of your teams to go down. And especially in the past few weeks, they'd shipped, I think it was 14 goals in the last three games. It was probably, despite his his legacy, it was probably time. Would you agree, Wilbur? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, yes. I feel like they're just definitely the worst um, hit team by injuries in, in the Premier League this season. Like there was a point at which they were playing like 16-year-old, 16-year-old kids. Um, but yeah, it's just sad. And I suppose... You know, if you're a team that had a bit of a buffer because there's so much money involved in the Premier League, that it just kind of had to happen. Yeah. Jan? Yeah, I, I think the decision was overdue. Um, they, I, I mean, you you said at the start, you know, Bielsa was so stubborn to just stick into his style of play. And in a way, it was really naive. Like last season, it really worked. You know, they, they battled even big teams. You know, they got good results from those performances. But here, you know, they they set up the same way when they played City than when they played, you know, a Burnley. And you can't do that, especially when you need results. And I think it was down to the manager. He was he was not adapting quickly enough to the situation. And in the end, I think he had to go. Like, if they want to stay up, that's what needs to be done. Yeah, I think and it was more sort of, it, it was potentially, like, obviously not adapting to the, the teams getting better and the Premier League evolving and teams maybe getting used to the way Leeds played, but also not adapting to having a major injury crisis like it's all very well and good wanting to play that extremely expansive man-to-man all over the pitch style that leads play with a full strength Mm -hmm. team but when you miss Patrick Bamford when you miss Calvin Phillips when you miss Liam Cooper for large parts of the season and other players you sort of just got to be like you have a plan b essentially and be like okay we might need to park the bus for a couple games here on the counter we might just need to consolidate and not try and concede three goals a game and it's difficult because um, 
because I don't know it's a, it's a style that you, you've very has worked so well and and unway and 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 even when you've you know you've always it's like your thing is you stick to it but it's tricky uh to sort of yeah it's super it's super sad did, did you see Calvin Phillips's social media post yeah about? I did I did that was Almost for sure <laughs> uh but he raises he raises a good point though like if if like obviously he's like it went sour and he's now gone but if you look back at some of the stuff that he has done like he unearthed players like calvin phillips like no i don't think calvin phillips would be the player he was today without bielsa uh he signed and then uh i guess unearthed rafinha because not wasn't really a known name before he came to leeds he revitalized patrick bamford's career um so there's like obviously this season you know but uh he delivered leeds uh a championship, uh, a championship, championship, we will, um, uh, and then took them to their highest Premier League finish in some time over twenty years. So I feel like we have to look more, look, focus more on the good than the bad with this because I feel like yes, he's he's now gone and yes, it went stale, but the the fallout from this will be there. There's lots of players that now have revitalized or uh, blossoming careers as of him because of him. Would you? Yeah, agree? I, I, yeah, I completely agree. Um, you have to look at the bigger picture. Leeds would not be where they are right now without without him. Um, in a way, it kind of reminds me of, of Wenger a little bit. I mean, maybe apart from the toxicity that, that existed towards you know, at the end of his tenure at, at Arsenal, <clears throat> but you know, <clears throat> sorry, you know, Wenger made that team great, and then in the end, you know, you can probably say he probably should have gone a couple of years earlier, and. That decision also had to be taken, and it's the same situation here. Yeah, for sure. And I guess one thing that'll be interesting, Wilbur, that me and you have talked about in the past is if Leeds now do go down, players like Calvin Phillips, because like he probably would have, if Leeds had gone down, he might have left anyway, but he might have been convinced to stay if Bielsa was around. But now Bielsa's not around. Calvin Phillips, Rafinha, uh, a few others maybe might be. Uh, Past is new. Yeah, is, is, is Rodrigo as well? Is is that his name? The other Brazilian? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's Spanish. Yeah, he I think, is. But, he, yeah. he is Spanish. He is. He's class too. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of players like I think it's Jack Harrison and Luke Ailing. There's a bunch of really solid defenders in there that I'm, I'm looking at as a, as an Everton fan. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he he made lots of good players and. Uh, I suppose we'll get onto Jesse Marsh in in a bit, but I, I, I'm I'm not sure. I'm I'm not convinced. <laughs> well, we can get on Jesse Marsh right now, actually, because uh, I I uh, something I said to uh, uh, I think both of you in separate chats is that I give him three wins before everyone starts calling him Ted Lasso, and uh, I'm not joking <laughs> when I say that. If if things don't like, improve off the bat, like the turnaround to an American coach will be pretty quick. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, in he he was at Leipzig in Germany, and he was. Uh, they probably called him the equivalent of Ted Lasso in in Germany. They they never took him fully on board. Germans are very skeptical of Americans in football. I think, I think everyone in, in Europe is. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's I think same situation. They he's he's going to start hitting the ground straight away. If if he doesn't hit the ground running, I mean. I don't know. Do you know I anything about his play just... style coming out of Germany? 
Um, I didn't watch too many Leipzig games, to be fair, on, on the him, but you know, he was at Salzburg and they had that draw against Liverpool. That oh no, Liverpool nicked it in the end, four three. But you know, it was really good play, fast forward, pressing, a team that really works hard. And I was surprised they didn't do well at Leipzig because that's what the, the way Leipzig were set up um, on the previous managers, always hardworking, always, you know, running teams in the ground. And it never came off. So I'm surprised Leeds went for him. Interesting you say that. It sounds a lot like a very similar play style to Bielsa. Surely they want a manager that's got some defensive solidity to him. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. You know, it's a very similar appointment. And in the current situation, you know, I know it's a cliche, but I think someone like Sam Allardyce would have probably been a better appointment. Not really the right one, but a better one. Big Sam. What do you reckon? Big Sam. You saved us from relegation a few a few years ago. <laughs> I, I like looking looking at it now. I, if he hadn't have already signed for Watford, I would have said Roy Hodgson would have been the best pick for them because he just he the way he comes in and just instills defensive solidity in teams is just uh, consistently effective. But yeah, um, I don't. I personally, like, without knowing virtually anything about him, I have a general mistrust of Americans and European football. Uh, and I'm yet to be proven overly wrong about that. Um, Christian Pulisic is the closest that's come to being halfway decent, and even then, he he's not that great. Um, I think I think the thing is is just yeah that the lack of lack of experience at, like lack of experience in English football. Like at this point, I think there's like ten or so games to go, maybe less. Um, you need someone who knows knows the league and knows how to nab a point. He's mainly managed at in the MLS did well in Austria and then didn't do so well in Germany. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem like good signs. <laughs> yeah. And like there is sometimes people say that this narrative that like, Oh, I think it was a thing of that. Um, I don't remember which manager it was, maybe it was Tuchel when they were like, Oh, he's never managed in the premier league. And it was like, Oh yeah, but a good manager is a good manager. It's like those guys are proven in multiple other leagues. So it doesn't really matter if they haven't done it in the Premier League before. But when this guy's got like a average at best resume coming into the hardest league into the world, it's it's very different to having, you know, one of those Premier League stalwarts who, like you said, knows how to grind out a result. Yeah. To nab a pointer away at a big six team or, you know, nab a one nil against a Burnley or a Norwich. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess th- my... My think- final my, my final question here is um are, are, are we Wilbur first are you still sticking with the fact that Leeds are going down Yeah I think I think I'm going to stick with it Yeah, yeah. And Jan, I hope so yeah. And Jan do you think Leeds are going down I don't think they are I think the quality in the team is too good I think they get a couple of results against teams at the bottom but it's not going to be convincing I think they just just scrap it in the end Interesting and for anyone that uh, is interested, I think uh, my opinion has now changed. I think I said Leeds were going to stay up a couple of weeks ago. I now think they're going down. This is just, I don't trust the new manager. Um, and unless they get one of Calvin Phillips, Patrick Bamford or Liam Cooper back ASAP, I don't see it happening for them, but we'll see. Uh, now, before we um, get on to the Europa League draw, there's, uh, there's an irk that I want to bring up. Now, me and Wilbur have done VAR to death uh, this season. Uh, it's It's been like at the start of the season, it, it's appeared to be improved somewhat a little bit from last season. 
But then in the past few months or so, the inconsistency, especially around handballs, but just around giving, around sending refs to the screen and everything is seemed to get a, a whole lot worse. And it really sort of came to a head at the weekend um, when possibly the blatest handball I've ever seen not given was not given uh, in the City Everton game. Uh, and so bad was the call that Everton have since asked for and received an apology from the EPL, which I thought was a bit mad because I wish Arsenal had have asked for an apology for some of the decisions we've cut this season. But uh, Wilbur, I'll start with you. Um, just because you're an Everton fan, uh, robbed of a point. Yeah, absolutely robbed of a point. <laughs> I think, um, but yeah, I, I think there's a, there's there's a lot to be positive about from from the result, um, or from, from not the result, the game. <laughs> um, it sort of felt like a result, but yeah, I think it, it's VAR, but it's also just bad officiating. Like Paul Tierney has just just terrible like he should see that in real time it's not it's not hard and then to be to be fair to him i actually saw a video this morning and they showed his position and he just couldn't see it it was never to play in between and so Rodri turned his body in a way that he couldn't even see his hand like it's i think it's unfair for the or to the on-field ref to say he has to see it but one thing that just it really bugs me is there's no process or there's no procedure in the prem how to look at these things like if the ref doesn't see it who takes the decision to send the ref to the on-field screen? That's so arbitrary. And here, the ref should have said, you know, I didn't see it at all. Let me let me go see it. And yeah. if he does, he has to see the handball. Yeah. Because he, he did go over to the monitor to look at it, didn't he? No, he didn't. Oh, did he? He didn't. Oh, he didn't. He didn't. Oh, I, I, right. I, was, I, I watched that whole thing for because I, I was... Uh, uh, yeah, I was I was watching the whole game and like um and watched like the whole incident. He didn't want he didn't once get sent to the monitor. It was just uh purple screen up on the big screen. Referee waited for a little bit and then just wave play on, which is mad to yeah. me. Like you have to look at that. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's why Frank Lampard in the post game interview was like, uh, you know, anyone can see that's a handball. My three year old daughter can see that's a handball. And the fact that Chris Cavanaugh who's had a minute and a half to look at it hasn't sent the ref to the screen or hasn't even said that's a handball is just baffling to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Apparently, and that's what they said on, on Sky, um, the, the VAR ref, he had to look at it and the way they have to overturn decisions is there has to be conclusive proof or whatever they call it. And there was a, there was an issue with where the, the, the ball actually touched his arm so if it does touch him on on the sleeve, it's not a handball. So there was a bit of an ambiguity where, where it touched uh, Rodri's Rodri's arm, which to me I think that's just crazy. Like, that's just nonsense. You know, just like one the- one angle is slightly inconclusive, the angle from the front, but the angle from behind Rodri, where you can clearly see the ball, it maybe a portion of it is touching his sleeve, but the majority of the ball is touching his bicep. Like that. That's. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's like, and also, like, me and Wilbur have talked about this before with regards to the rule change for deliberate handball, where it's like the rule was changed to avoid handballs getting given for the ball just striking a, a player's arm when they don't know anything about it to like in like ball, like arm moving or arm or hand moving towards the ball is a, is, a, is one of like the clear factors for giving handball. And he, like, the, like, regardless of whether or not it hits his sleeve or his bicep, he moves his arm. Like 
like very deliberately towards the ball. And I, like you can say maybe it's, it was just sort of his natural running motion, but like for me, that he moves his arm to the ball. And like that for me is like the definition of handball is when you use your arm or your hands to deliberately control a football. And I just think like, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're definitely like, I definitely agree with Jan. There, there needs to be some sort of process for, for sending the, um, sending the referee to the monitor. Like it's mad. It's mad that if he didn't, if he, if he didn't see it, he didn't go and have a look at the monitor. Like it's there waiting for him. So, yeah. For you uh, as a, as an Everton fan, then also for the whole situation at large, does an apology really change anything for you? <laughs> no, not really. But I mean, you can, I mean, you can spend a lot of time dwelling on these sorts of decisions, but sometimes refs, whether they're on the field or upstairs, get it wrong. A lot's gone wrong at Everton this season. And it's, if we, if we get relegated, it won't be down to a bad decision from the ref. That's a good way of looking at it. I like that. <laughs> There's quite a few people saying this, this could have a major impact in the relegation uh, and also title uh, race at the, at the other end. Well, of the could be annoying for a Liverpool fan too. <laughs> yeah, Jan, title race. Is, is this potentially I mean, defining? I mean, it could be, you know, there's, there's fine margins. Um, if it goes down to the last match day and there's only a point in it, you know, this, this will be massive. But, I mean, I want to believe that, you know, what, what goes around comes around. I think City are probably due some, some bad karma and maybe they get a call against them like that. Who knows? I think over a 30-year match season, you get a bit four year to be against you. But yeah, I, I was gutted when I saw it. I, I first read it on the li- on the live ticker, and handball not given. I thought, okay, maybe it was it wasn't clear. But then I saw the actual image, and it was, oh, yeah, clear day. Yeah, no, I I was in a uh, like a sort of studio room with some people, and we were all just like, that's uh, that's absolutely robbed. Um, but I guess, uh, you know. Hopefully, Liverpool maybe get a dubious handball call in their game against City and everything uh, evens out. So, moving on. Let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> sure, hope so. Uh, moving on to the Europa League draw. And now, this is obviously going to be slightly impacted by the fact that Spartak Moscow has been uh, eliminated from the tournament. But uh, it's here. There's, uh, at least there is a Premier League team in it. And... Um, Let's go through it and just sort of pick out what are the best tires to look for um, and who we sort of think is going to do well in this tournament now that the knockout stages are set. So um, which which tire jumps out at you? Uh, anyone go first. Uh, just straight away, which tire jumps out at you as being the tire of the round? Probably Porto Leon. And Jan? I don't even know who's playing, to be honest. I'm not looking at the draw yet. That's all good. Hang on, let uh, me get off. For me, it's Sevilla West Ham, but Porto Leon is also up there for me. Um, oh, hang on, I'll go, I'll go up now. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for Sevilla West Ham. I think that, that that's going to be very even and it's a very good football. Although Atalanta Leverkusen is also really good. Difficult to choose one. Mm, I think, yeah, I think uh, if you had to pick three, it'd be Porto Leon, Sevilla, West Ham and Leverkusen, uh, Atlanta. Um, 
do we see as a as a Premier League podcast? Do we see West Ham making a deep run in this, or is Sevilla going to be the 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 the, the, the stepping tone? stepping stone too high to continue over oh, that's not a good metaphor but you get what i'm trying to say <laughs> i think they're certainly good enough to beat severe but you just know severe you know they they have that pedigree in the europa league they yeah. have that you know the little thing that it takes to win it to just see off teams when they're probably not at their best i like to see that happening in this in this round well what, what do you reckon experience i think yeah, yeah sorry yeah yeah Uba? Yeah, I think, yeah, I'd, I'd probably have to say the same. They, they just got that more experience. West Ham probably got bigger sort of league pressures. They, 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 they're sort of in that sort of top four slash getting back into the Europa League sort of race. So, yeah, I'd have to go. I, I, I definitely just see West Ham fading. Um, yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> let's stick with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so an interesting question that has been raised is that... Um, uh, what happened to RB Leipzig? Do, 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 like, we, we can sort of speculate here. Do we think they automatically progress or do we think like with the European qualifiers, a team that missed out from the group stage or the knockouts gets gets put into their position? What do we think happens here? Jan, I'll go to you for this one. I mean, I think the same thing should happen as with the, the qualifiers. They should just settle on one one way of resolving this. Get Dortmund back in there. They've got money, not Dortmund. <laughs> Sorry, that's my, my own personal bias, but they definitely did not deserve it. Sorry, uh, for, for those wondering, by uh, um, Jan is a uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach fan, hence the animosity towards Dortmund. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, I think yeah, adding another team in is, is probably the way to, to go there. Uh, it would be, I, I would feel hard done by Wilbur, I reckon, if I was another Europa League team and they just got a free run to the quarterfinals. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They've got to they've got to earn it. And just on Dortmund briefly, that yeah, that that tie with Rangers was was hectic. And yeah, I think crazy. The the home leg for the round of sixteen against how do you say that? <laughs> Red Star Belgrade. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got it says something different on my Yeah, yeah it does, yeah. it does, it does. Sravena Zvedata. Yeah, that, anyway, that, that that'll be a great um that'll that'll yeah. be an awesome tie at home for Rangers. Oh it'll be it'll be an awesome time uh tie both in terms of crowd atmosphere for both legs because Red Star fans are absolutely insane. And then obviously the Ibrox rock it gets rocking for every big game they have. So that'll be a really good one uh for the neutral for sure. Um so we're not going to go through every tie here because we don't have all day. But um, do we see Barcelona winning it all or is is there going to be another team that pips them for it? Jan, start with you. Well, I think the Europe League is just so unpredictable. Um, I think anything can happen. They're probably the favourite in, in this draw. I don't know. I have a soft spot for Atalanta. I think they deserve a trophy out of the, the really good run they had in the last three, four years, making the Champions League twice or three times even. Yeah, I'd like to see them win it. Well, what's your head telling you? My head is telling me, yeah, probably Barcelona. Yeah. And also, <laughs> might be the only way of of actually getting into the Champions League next season. This is true. Very, It's very hotly contested La Liga at the moment. Um, Wilbur, surely it's got a 
like got to be Barca, right? For the, for the Europa League. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they have been looking good. I think the some of the signings they brought in, Adama, Bamiyang, Ferran Torres are all playing very, quite well in, in La Liga. And Gavi and Pedri have also seemed to be coming into their own um, a bit recently as well. Um, yeah. For me, they're the best team. But as, as Jan said, I think anything anything could happen. What's the what's the final? Uh, we'll go to you, Will, but then Jan second. Uh, what's the what's the final you'd like to see? I'd, I mean, I'll stick with Barca being in there, and I'd also I, w- I would like to see Rangers go, go far. But that, that's a yeah. big pipe dream. <laughs> That'd be sick, Jan. Yeah, I'd like to see Rangers in there. Um, Barcelona and probably Leverkusen. That would be a really good final. <laughs> All right, and I'm going to go with Barcelona versus West Ham. I want to see West Ham in the Europa League final. I reckon be absolutely scenes. <laughs> or if not, if not Barcelona, West Ham versus Rangers. That's what I'd like to see. Um, oh, that'd be a scary thought. No. <laughs> that'd be hectic. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I also think uh, Barcelona is going to probably end up winning it. I think they're on paper they're just a two. They're too good uh, a team. Uh, all right. So finally, we've got uh, what seems to what potentially could be coming a, uh, a regular recurrence on the show as a fun way to round out the episode. So last week, um, we ranked uh, who was it? Wilbur? Sorry, I've completely forgotten. Refresh my memory. <laughs> Neymar, Salah, Bale and um, Hazard. Hazard. There prime. we go. So rank them all uh, in their primes, right? The best of the best, who was the better player? Um, you can see, uh, listen to the last week's episode for our, our thoughts on that. Uh, but uh, this week we're doing uh, four more, uh, not wingers. We're doing strikers from, I mean, even though some of them are still very good now, uh, strikers from essentially the 2010s. So we've got Lewandowski, Suarez, ooh, beg pardon, sorry. Lewandowski, Suarez, uh, Benzema and Aguero. So yeah, um, rank rank these four uh, in their prime as when they were the best when they're at their best. That could even be now if if you know for some of well, for at least one of them. Um, who wants to start? Because I went first last week. <laughs> I can go. I can go. All right, go with me. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to put Aguero first. Oh, interesting! Wow. I think I think. Um, it's definitely a bit of Premier League bias. I think the job that I mean, he's, he played in a very good Man City team, but he also played in the Man City team when they were sort of building up, and he was class and essentially unplayable when when he was at his best. Um, then second, Lewandowski, obviously class, probably deserved the Ballon d'Or um, in the most recent round of it. Yeah, um, and then. Suarez and Benzema. Nice one. I, I'm liking how we're going to have very, di- I, I'm feeling like we're going to have very different picks here, which is good because me and you agree on too many things. Uh, I don't, Jan. I, I, just, just on Benzema last, I don't, I, 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 I don't, I mean, obviously he's a world-class striker, but I think uh, he's hyped up a little bit more than. You think compared to the other three, he doesn't hold a candle to him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Jan, we'll go to you next. Oh, I mean, this is so difficult. I think 
in their prior there's probably nothing separating those those four. Um, purely based on prime, <clears throat> um, I'm probably going to go Suarez first, just by you know just watching him that, that that season he had at Liverpool he was unplayable. I think anyone can agree he he was bagging bags uh, bagging goals out of nothing. He created a chance out of nothing. Uh, and then even at Barcelona, he carried on to Barcelona for two, three seasons. He was so good. So for me, he's first. Second, um, I'm also going to go Lewandowski. Um, just if you look at him in the Bundesliga, I watch the Bundesliga a lot. And what he does there, you know, it's, it's like playing ground for him. He he got he broke a record that no one thought could be broken. He scored 41 goals in just, I think, 32 games or something like that, which, you know, some people don't rate the Bundesliga, but it is a difficult league still to to get that that tally of goals. Um, third, I'd like to put Benzema just ahead of Aguero, just by what he's done at Madrid. You know the the trophies he's won, but also he's still got a good a good amount of goals by playing alongside Ronaldo, who you know who you know he took the penalties. The team the team was set up to play for Ronaldo. He still performed really well and he was pivotal to all these titles. And then fourth, Aguero, although I think he's probably hard done by a fourth place, Aguero, because, you know, as Wilbur said, he was unbelievable in the Prem and um, he was for a long, long time and he, he delivered for, for each city manager. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay, well, uh, yeah, I think you've got Aguero very hard done by there. But anyway, I digress. Um, for me, uh, I've got Suarez at the top as well. Um, for me, he is, uh, in my opinion, we know, and, uh, <laughs> this might be a bit of a hot take. He's the third best striker in the Premier League of all time. Uh, if you like, not like in terms of career, but just like the best that I've seen um, after Shearer and Henri. So, um, and I just think like, yeah, like, he was just. Oh. unbelievable unbelievable like just like like just Rooney. <laughs> but Wayne Rooney Rooney no wasn't an out and out striker no the entire time either so I just think as an out and out striker um I think Suarez is one of he's just incredible I I, I can't I think Suarez is just unreal to be honest um Suarez was first on my list from the moment I thought of the the four um he obviously went to Barca because he continued doing it uh, but yeah, those, those seasons, those two, those seasons he was at Liverpool, he was just unplayable. And then, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, it's just like a eye test thing for me, I guess. I just I watched him and just was just in absolute awe. Um, then second, I've got um, Aguero. Actually, uh, I've got Aguero there because uh, I, there was this stat I looked at recently, which which is like uh, amount of goals, like like the leading goal scorer against every team in the Premier League, like which, which, which player has scored the most against every team. And Aguero had something stupid. Like he'd scored against, I think he's, he'd been the player that had scored the most goals against like a third of the Premier League or more. And like, yeah, like he's, he's, he was just unplayable, uh, for, like not unplayable, but just like, uh, just, just ridiculously good for so long. I think being in that super good city team definitely did help him. And he, never really did a whole lot uh at the international level but i just think the domination he had over the premier league was so impressive 
And this is the only reason I have him over Levin. This is pretty much the only reason I have him over Lewandowski is because I think Lewandowski, like you said, Jan, plays in a weaker league. And like, yes, he's done it in the Champions League. And yes, he scored goals internationally. And yes, he's probably come the closest to a Ballon d'Or out of any of these players. But I do think he does... And like he does incredible things like, you know, scores the, the five goals in seven minutes or you know, break Gerd Muller's record. <laughs> I do think he he does sort of, he's like the big bully in beating up on, like he's, like, he's like the year, he's kind of like the year 12 beating up on the, you know, year sevens at times in the Bundesliga. Uh, at least that's kind of mm. how I see it. Um, but like not to take anything away from him, I think he's a phenomenal striker and there's not really much to split Lewandowski and Aguero. Um but like, and this might be Premier League bias showing as well. Uh, but like, yeah, I, like that's probably the hardest one for me was those two. And then I put Benzema fourth um, because, uh, yes, he did well to, uh, you know, carve out a, a, a very good career next to Ronaldo. But he like, it was always going to be tough for him to be the best striker he could be in the same team as Ronaldo. I think if Ronaldo wasn't in that team, he'd be very well. He might've been worse, but he very, he might've also been incredible as, a, as the main focal point of a team for the best part of a decade. So uh, I think he, he, he's, his case is hindered a little bit by Ronaldo, but potentially also boosted by Ronaldo, who knows? But uh, yeah, I think the other three stand out more for me as like just in their prime, they were the guy for their team. Um, and yeah. So uh, let's, let's put it to the floor. Uh, what, what are we thinking of, um, of, of that? I can't believe Wayne Rooney. I mean, you've got Suarez, but Wayne Rooney and all-time Premier League strikers. I mean, like I, like I said, Rooney, Rooney is... He is, me, he is disrespected. No, hey, I, 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 for me, I see Rooney as... I don't see Rooney as an out-and-out striker because he, he played a large career, proportion of his career at number 10. He's, he, he played like the guy just behind the striker. Like, I don't think of... I don't think of... When I think of like the... I, I, Rooney is more... I don't know. I don't think of Rooney as like a true like number nine. True. I mean, he definitely... Yeah, he he definitely dropped a bit deeper deeper later on, but he was yeah. Anyway, yeah, I feel like we struck a nerve with Ray Rooney, didn't we? <laughs> I love Wayne Rooney. I, I just I just think <laughs> yeah. Now Wilbur's a big Wilbur is a, a, a big Wayne Wayne Rooney fan, but like to his credit, Wayne Rooney is phenomenal. Uh but yeah, for me, I don't know. As as strikers, yeah, for me, I don't know something about when I watched Strikers, I was I just it was like it's the same sort of feeling I got when um watching Torres as well. It was just like, these guys could go do literally mm. anything at any moment. Uh, yeah. It's just yeah. sad that Torres' career got cut so short because I think he probably would have had um, a similar impact. But like, yeah, Suarez is just ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting to um, ha- ha- to have, for you to have a Agu- so low on Aguero, Jan. I was, I was a bit surprised by that. Um, I mean, I, I would have, I would have wanted to put Benzema and Aguero joined third. Um, for me, Aguero, he didn't do it in a Champions League. Like, even when City were flying high, I, I mean, I, I wrote down the number. He scored 41 goals in 79 games in the Champions League. That's the worst ratio out of all of them. Um, for me, that sort of that diminishes his career a little bit. Um, that's also a state on, on Guardiola's time at, at City, just that the fact that they didn't redo it in, in Europe. It's a good True. point. That's a good point. 
it's a fair call. It's a fair call. Um, interesting. None of us had Lewandowski top, considering he's the closest that have ever come to a Ballon d'Or. Why do you, why do we think that is? I think it's down to playing style a little bit as well. Lewandowski is an out-and-out striker. You know, he needs the service. Um, he doesn't get that many assists in Germany either. And so it's just someone who can make something happen. And he also, you know, he looks a bit more spectacular as a player. So I think there's a little bit an element of that to it. But again, really hard to separate. As far as in Lewandowski for me. Yeah. That um, is what... true. He is a different type of striker. Hey, is that sort of yeah. that bigger... I, don't know. I, I feel like Aguero and Suarez are similar, but Benzema and Lewandowski are similar. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. One player who um, didn't quite make it onto this list because he's a little bit too young for this generation, but then he also he's not he's a bit too old for comparing strikers of a younger generation is Harry Kane. And if we had to fit him into this list, where I'm going to put you on the spot here a bit, uh, Wilbur first and Jan, um, where would you, where would you put him? In this five, um, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's a big call. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna go. But my, my first things think on this. I'll, I'll put him just above Benzema, but below, below the rest. Okay, and Jan, that was a seat of the pants call. That one. <laughs> um, difficult. Either, either at the bottom or just above Aguero for me. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Do you think it's because he's he he? Do you, also do you think Kane's best years are, are behind him, and this like his his best football has been played? No, I don't think that. I think he can still carry on for another two, three years at the very top, and I think he could even improve. Uh, he just needs to leave Spurs, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but if you look at his numbers and the way he plays, you know he's. He's a playmaker striker a little bit as well. He, I think last season he got joint, well, most goals and most assists. And I think that's just credit to Harry Kane, how well he plays. Mm. I'd just like to see him do it for a bigger club and also in the Champions League. Right on. I agree. I agree. I, 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 Kane needs to leave Tottenham. Me and Wilbur have been saying it for a long time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that should, as we hit, I think, roughly the hour mark, that should uh, do us for this episode. Very well done, boys, to get through all of that in uh, about an hour. Um, uh, so yeah, we're going to post our... Uh, or we're not going to post how, how we ranked them, but I'm going to post the four strikers on our Instagram so anyone listening can have their say. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, over the next few weeks we'll be how our uh, Champions League picks uh, end up. And it will be interesting to see how, if Leeds can get that new manager bounce or if they will uh, drop off. Uh, but yes, for now, thank you for listening. Uh, if you've um, liked what you heard, uh, follow us on Spotify. Obviously, follow us on our Instagram, which is uh, the 40 yard or just, just 40 yard switch.pod. Uh, Yannick from the Luxembourg Times, uh, Bruce and uh, avid Borussia Mitchell Gladbach and Liverpool fan. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, Thanks for having awesome. me on. Uh, welcome back anytime and uh yeah i guess for another week that's that's it and we will see you uh next time <laughs>